Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, October 17th. Notre Dame falls to Stanford 16 to 14 to fall to three and three after winning three games in a row. Notre Dame playing well away from Notre Dame Stadium, but not any good at, at home so far. They fall to three and three. Uh, the offense obviously struggled mightily. The defense struggled, but still managed to hold Stanford to one touchdown. No touchdowns over the final 55 minutes. But anyway, you look at it. Um, it's hard to find positives. There are individuals you can find positives on, um, supplements on defense, Logan Diggs. I like the way he's run the football, but Notre Dame falls to three and three with a 16, 14 loss. Uh, Tim, just some general thoughts on the way everything transpired Saturday night in Notre Dame stadium. Yeah, it's a strange, it was, I got to give some credit to Angelo DiCarlo, who before the game told me that this game was going to be low scoring, ugly. Notre Dame would have no chance of covering and it's the ultimate trap game because he was right. Uh, I did not see that coming. I think we, uh, we talked about it pre BYU Priester before the game. Are we prisoners of the moment? Has this offense actually turned around just because of North Carolina? Sure. Seemed like it turned around after the last two games, right? With 1100 yards. And- yeah. We're always good with our predictions until it's time to actually, uh, Make yeah. a prediction. The only thing kind of holding the Notre Dame's offense back for two weeks there, were two and a half games, was the red zone offense. And then they went back to not being able to get in the red zone. When they got down there, they yeah. didn't score. So, really, uh, it's one of the more surprising performances that I guess shouldn't be if we pay enough attention <laughs> over the years. I just did not think Notre Dame would play that poorly for a four quarters. Now, they played better in the second half, obviously. They were horrendous yeah. in the first quarter. And I don't know what to do about the first quarter, and neither do they right now. That's the problem. Yeah. Pete Sampson? Uh, offensively, as an active, I've seen them for a long time. Um, you know, I, I don't think the 2016 was that offensively challenged in spots. I mean, no, this is no like I don't think so either. Bad end of days, Charlie Weiss, terrible offense was what we were watching, um, which was was really shocking to see. I, I, I sort of agree with Freeman – a little bit that after watching it, I felt better about the offense, which is just to say, instead of it being a total affront to the senses, it was just bad. Um, Because live, O'Malley and I were talking to us walking out of the presser today, like live, I'm not sure I had an appreciation of like how open Braden Lindsay was on second and 18. Um, But on tape, I was like, I wonder if Marcus Freeman threw his clicker through his window uh, when he saw it, because it was there were some moments where like, okay, I can, I can sort of see what Reese is trying to get accomplished. Whereas watching the game live, I couldn't even tell you what the plan was. Um, I I didn't have an understanding of what they were even attempting to do. Uh, Whereas on the replay, I was like, okay, I can at least see what the the thought process was here, even if it was sort of flawed and how it was implemented. Yeah. The missed throw to Lindsay. And what, what was greater, how, how far open Lindsay was or how far Pine missed him. I mean, I, you know, I, that was, I gotta say, Tim, we, uh, we bagged uh, our, our board is killing Braden Lindsay because he got tackled from behind on our end around. And we have not been kind to him with his catch percentage. 
77 yards against Marshall to turn the game around. Wide open down the right side against Cal, but Pine never even throws it to him. Wide open over the middle yeah. against BYU, and they go to Jaden Thomas short, and that play. Add three touchdowns and a 60-yard gain to Braden Lindsay, and how much are we all over him for just having the ball thrown near him? Now, no doubt, and I'm glad you. I glad I'm very glad you brought that up, and you've brought it up in in the past. I mean, these they are missed opportunities. It seems to always happen with Braden Lindsay. Yes, that's true. You can't. I mean, but you can't. You can't blame. You can't blame him for that. I mean, we could say it seems like it happens to him, but I mean, when you're open, you're open. If you're if you overshoot him, but I, I I mean, I couldn't believe how far he overshot him by. I mean, it was it was out of the end zone. It was. It was a huge miss, and that would have been their first touchdown in the first quarter, and it would have been a seven-seven game, and and a much different situation. Yeah, too. it would it would uh, probably be a much different situation throughout the rest of the first half. Well, obviously, Nordin wouldn't have been shut out in the first half, but uh, you know the 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 missed tackles on defense were were very frustrating. Um, you know, Stanford has a Stanford has a real I, the the slow mesh stuff and. And there are POs off of that. It's very difficult to stop. But I mean, the big, big picture, I, I, I put out my grades yesterday and I, I looked at big picture and not small picture. And some people um, pointed out that my grades were a little high defensively. And I agree. I mean, if you look at the nuts and bolts of the way the defense played, I counted, I mean, I had, I had eight missed tackles at, at, at some point. There were two on one play by the secondary, uh, one by Benjamin Morrison and then, and then Houston Griffith. Um, on the same play, but uh, you know, they kept them out of the end zone. It's really amazing that they held them to, to, uh, to no touchdowns over the last 55 minutes, but you yeah, just don't expect. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah, they were, they, they were. And they, you know, the, the one thing, I mean, defensively, they did a poor job on third down. And so that kept Notre Dame's offense off the field, which I know they weren't very productive, but if you get them on the field a little bit more, with a few few more opportunities with better field position, which you you would have if you weren't giving up those third down conversions. But at the end of the day, it's not it's not the defense. It's totally not totally, but it's largely the offense here that that dramatically underperformed. Yeah, I think grading on a curve, Pete. Right, grading on a curve, the defense was far from heroic. If you're having if you're facing. 18 third and fourth downs and you've given up too much during the course of the game, but you're grading on a curve once again, right? They held them to 16 points at home, score some points and win the game. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like going through the, the average distance of the, the third down Stanford converted. That's, there were a couple long ones. Um, but for the most part, it's all, you know, three yards, four yards, five yards, manageable stuff. I mean, I think Casey Wilkins had the most impressive 2.8, yards per carry performance that I can ever remember watching in person. Uh, I want to bring just that up. Like, it just this kept them, just kept them on pace, kept them on rhythm. Um, even if it was not explosive. Priester, that was the one grade I disagreed with. With the rush, I was like, I, I thought. I changed. No, yeah, I changed yeah. it. I changed I thought it. He it was played wrong. a, like an admirable. I, first of all, I think they really knew what they wanted. The, the game plan against Notre Dame to do that, to be that patient and, just to note a punt when you mentioned that they, you know, they're, they're, that's, that's well within the field goal kickers range. Just to, just but to note understood. a punt, like there's no yep. way Drew Pine's driving on us right now. Yep. It was a very well handled game. Unfortunately, they made it much easier for Shaw to handle, but they, the, the coaching job on one side game plan and execution was very impressive. And 
we have been bagging on Stanford for a while now, and they they did what they had to do. Yeah, that was I, and I their just, veteran head coach out coached Nordames first year coach too. That is exactly what I was going to say because I feel like Marcus Freeman voluntarily played a David Shaw style game against David Shaw, who who's better at playing a David Shaw style of game than David Shaw? Like that that didn't make Brian a lot Kelly. of sense to me. Maybe Brian Kelly is. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I mean, their defensive game plan against Tommy Reese's offense was was great. I mean, they when you look at the different ways that they defended Michael Mayer over the course of the game, I mean, it's really it's really pretty incredible. And they pressed at the line of scrimmage with their corners on Notre Dame's wideouts. And what did they do? Except for Tobias Merriweather, who had the big forty-one yarder, the other wideouts caught seven passes for thirty-five yards. So they were out schemed and um and and they were outplayed because Nordings whiteouts have great difficulty beating anybody with I mean unless you sit back and play zone which North Carolina did because they can't play you know man they can't press you at the line of scrimmage they generally don't get open but Tobias Merriweather did and that was a that was just a spectacular route I mean that looked like a Big time athlete, highly rated recruit, running a great route. He turned the safety around. That was it was cover zero, so they didn't have didn't have any help back there. But that was a that was a good call at the right time. It was a perfect throw. It was Drew Pine was not accurate in this game, but he was very accurate on that throw. And Tobias Merriweather ran that route beautifully. Yeah, and, and I mean, Tobias Anderson and Stanford. He was in the scouting report, right, Pete? I mean, yeah. Like, Who the heck is that? What's going yeah. on over here? If they had read Twitter or message board <laughs> mentions, they would have been like, "We got to prepare for this guy." But and on that play, credit the protection because Stanford blitzes seven. Notre Dame has six to block it, and they still keep Drew Pine yeah. comfortable in that pocket. So that allows the allows that play to happen. But yeah, it was it was he's just a different different level of athlete at the, at the wide receiver position, which like I said, it in the off season, they were, if they made a massive improvement in season, then they could be an average receiver group. Uh, they haven't, haven't got there yet. Yeah. You know, I thought uh, I brought it up today with Marcus Freeman that Osafa Mensa was, man, he was outstanding and he got, he got a, he got a bunch more playing time and he took full advantage of it. So you give him a lot of credit for that. And I, Continue. I addressed it once again in, in tail of tape this week, as I did last week. I mean, Logan Diggs, the way that's just a different runner. That that's a he's changed his his running style completely from the first portion of the season, and much for the better because he is he's going to find that his pad level is is a lot better. He's going to find that when he gets through that 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 first wall of of defenders, he's exactly where he wants to be in the middle of the field. He can use either side. Um, but I just love, just love the physicality. He had a 26 yard run at the end of the run. He, he, he drove his shoulder into the yeah. DB, the safety tackling him. I just really, really am excited about the direction that he's going. Audrey Estime, you know, Chris Tyree is, uh, yeah, he, he had a good, he had a really nice 11 yard run at one point, but the other two guys are kind of standing ab ab above him in, in my mind in the last two games. I thought Logan Diggs, uh, the short yardage run on fourth down. That was incredible. He fired 
through that hole. Like there was no, it doesn't matter who, if they, if, if someone came in the backfield, that person was getting knocked back two yards and he was, you would have thought the way he burst out of his stance, you would have thought it was a Canadian league and he was moving forward to the line of scrimmage right, pre-snap. That's, that's a great way of looking at it. He was absolutely, that was, that was, and he's got three short conversions now. He's the new, he's a short yardage back. Yeah. Yeah. Love the pad level. Love the physicality that he's running with uh, injuries. I'm going to go over those guys really quickly. Uh, before we go to segment two, and it's it's mainly good news. Uh, Jaden Mickey has an abductor issue, and he did not practice yesterday. Go ahead, Tim. Um, that I wasn't thinking about it when I asked Freeman about it. That is what uh, was described originally for Jafar Armstrong. Okay, so that could be, that could be potentially lengthy. Yeah. Uh, Jason Adam Alola has a has rib contusions or a rib contusion. Uh, he'll be back. Um, did he say he, pre- I don't know that he, he practiced. Did not practice yesterday. And yeah. He probably won't again, uh, Tuesday. They're saying he's got to get to the point where it's, but there's okay. no structural damage. Right. Henderson, uh, Ramon Harrison at ankle. He practiced yesterday and really good news. Uh, Tariq Bracey practiced yesterday as well. So, uh, good news on the injury front when it was looking pretty grim for the defensive side of the ball during game coming back segment two, we call it burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown former Notre Dame Leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's game day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards, our first question comes from Denver Maximus. Since there is so much anger and blame being directed at Tommy Reese and his hiring, can you guys clarify one thing? Was it Marcus Freeman who said he would take the head coaching job but wanted Reese back? Many posters are stating Freeman has an OC he didn't want or didn't hire. Uh, a lot of people are, are hanging their hat on the fact that Tommy Reese was, quote, signed before Marcus Freeman was, but it was done hand in hand. It, it wasn't that Jack Swarbrick hired Tommy Reese and forced him upon Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman wanted Tommy Reese to be his offensive coordinator. I, I feel like that's been said many, many times and that it's been ignored. Uh, Pete, your perspective on that. Yeah. I, I think those things happened in concert. Uh, it was something that Freeman, I think was not just accepting of, but like wanted um, you know, to have with all the change going on there, he's a defensive head coach, first time to stick with an offense you already have coached up made a ton of sense. Um, 
and it still makes a ton of sense, even though the offense is struggling. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any truth to Jack Swarbrick saddling Marcus Freeman with Tommy Reese. That's just, that's just inaccurate. Probably a convenient way to look for a quicker out of the offensive coordinator that is at a all time low in his popularity contest on message boards. Yeah. Really- message boards, just people watching TV, not only message boards in this case. Yeah, with no, with really no chance of recovery, unless I mean yeah. they'd have to they'd have to win all their games and score a lot more points than they're scoring right now in order for the the fan base to look differently upon Tommy Reese. And I don't see either one. I don't see one leading to the other anytime real soon. Question from DJSJNDFB: Can Marcus Freeman fire Tommy Reese? How soon? What would have to happen for Freeman, or is it Swarbrick to fire Reese in season? He can fire Tommy Reese, and I think how soon would be he would have to look at the full season they worked together as opposed to first six games. With a backup quarterback starting four of them, it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and with an acknowledged shortcoming of skill position athletes, which is, which is right. certainly yeah. Reese's, Reese's responsibility for, for that with Brian Kelly and, and others and, you know, in recent years, but that was their fault entering the season too. And he was the choice. So that's right. <laughs> it's, it, it's purely what is best for the Notre Dame football program there. Um, I don't see any upside to an in-season change. I mean, it's like, you think of the one in-season change we covered, right? Like it was such an epic disaster, much, much worse then what's well, also going on off the, the field right Pete, we should point out off the field an epic disaster too there was a lack of faith in brian van gorder everything was bad yes every everything was bad this is like the offense is not playing what did not play well saturday after playing well two straight games those games happened um they pulled the Kell game out of the fire in the second half but yeah they were awful against stanford that was a, a, a rotten offensive performance, but um, the idea of making an in-season change, I think, is just insane, um, especially because it's like, what did you just say? They have a lack of offensive skill position talent. Well, they've recruited pretty well this class. I would make sure that I would hang on to that um, before like, oh, I'm going to make a change just because it feels good. Yeah, I'm going to tie that in with a question from Beist062. Are we finally allowed to talk about firing Tommy Reese this week or are us fans... Uh, still too stupid to realize what a good OC is. Um, you no, know, I mean, we can talk about it. It's not, it's not going to happen. And, and I, and I, here's why it won't happen because it would be, it would be horrible for, for Drew Pine. It would be horrible for the quarterback room. It would be bad for the entire offense that looks to Tommy Reese. Um, I think with a lot of, I, mean, I don't have any reason to believe that they, don't look at him with a lot of confidence. And I understand the lack of confidence on the outside looking in, uh, but he is the leader of the offense. And I, and I think that they generally speaking, believe in him. Um, so I think a no, better it's wording, not, the, the question was worded very funny, obviously, but I think a funnier wording or a more accurate wording would have been, or are us crazy fans still too stupid to realize what a good OC is asking about what's wrong with Tommy Reese, not firing him right now. Like if you're saying, could you explain to us, what we should like about Tommy Reese right now, as opposed to can we fire Tommy Reese right now? 
Yeah, I or mean, do you it, think you're open to a new offensive direction after the season? Like, yes, that's right. Now, and, and, and I mean, and that's a, that's another topic of conversation when that time right. comes. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I don't know this for, for sure. Um, but I mean, I don't think Tommy Reese would hang around to be fired. Um, I don't, I don't think Tommy Reese will be fired from Notre Dame. I think if anything, Tommy Reese will leave for the NFL after the season, or he may be back with all the weapons that Pete, you just mentioned. And I don't know that for sure, but. Why don't we take the guess? <laughs> we do this all the time. We did, we guessed on, uh, <laughs> on Jeff Quinn and Dell Alexander at this point last year, maybe one week prior. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I don't and think we were, Tommy. Yeah, Reese, we were correct, believe it or not. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think Tommy Reese will be Nordame's offensive coordinator next year. I said less than 50%. I say just over 50%. Question from William Mayer one with the team playing flat at home. Do you think having a team mass prior to the games causes some of the players to not be in the right mindset? Brian Kelly had reasons for doing away with this on game day, not saying it is uh, at all an issue, but maybe contributing. Not for me. Um, I think Priester, your question about, um, procedures at home and why do you not play as well at home is certainly valid, um, both on the surface and to ask the head coach. I mean, Brian Kelly won 26 straight games here. He started four and three at home and six and four at home before kind of starting to get his footing at home. Right. Um, Brian Kelly obviously left Marcus Freeman with much more intact in terms of winning culture, but as many people have pointed out. Brian Kelly had some football players on those teams in 2010 and 2011, as we found out, right? So I don't know. Uh, most coaches at Notre Dame start out poorly at home. <laughs> Certainly Bob Davey did. Tyron Willingham started well until he was terrible. And Charlie Weiss started poorly at home until he bottomed out and just became absolutely awful at home. So it, it's a hard uh, – and Lou Holt started poorly at home, but he was turning around a culture of <laughs> absolute disgust. So I don't know if that counts. I don't think mass has anything to do with it. I assume that during this December, they will examine their game day procedures if that has anything to do with it, or they just are an overconfident group that should not take anybody lightly yet still has twice. I, I, yeah, I, it's much more to do with like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday yeah. than the venue they're playing in on Saturday. Yeah. As a, as a, <laughs> as a lifelong Catholic, I don't think a 20 minute, a 20 minute mass on game day in which you, I think he means it as communicate. Too, right? No, I understand, but that, that, yeah. but not, but not that, No, right. I, you know, I mean, home games seem pretty heavy. I, so I did, I, I kind of sort of asked about this after the game, I phrased it. I didn't get the answer at all that I wanted after the game. So I rephrased it again today. And, um, and he apologized. Well, he, <laughs> that wasn't necessary, but his, his, uh, I mean, he basically said, you know, their procedures at home are very comparable to their procedures on the road, mm. which I find a little hard to believe, but I know where he's coming from with that. My point being that he basically said he doesn't think that they're going to change any procedures moving forward. Yeah, I, I really think that, Pete, you made you stated that eloquently. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and it's also, I mean, Notre Dame thought, <laughs> we know they took Marshall lightly, but we also kind of understand that, right? Stanford came in here ready to compete with Notre Dame in a rivalry game. And you cannot even somewhat convince me Notre Dame prepared for it in the same way Stanford did. 
And to that, I like to quote the town. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> because you are three and two and could have easily been 0 and three had the ball bounced into someone's stomach laying on the ground. Yeah, I I am much more intrigued by like I don't think it has anything to do with home and away, but I think it has a lot to do with the point spreads of these games because look, they Notre Dame knows if they're favored or not. And I think that even Marcus sort of referenced it today about you know, teams that you're perceived to be better in or whatever. And I mean, the point spreads of the games where Notre Dame has really struggled. What are we're talking about? Like plus 17 and a half, plus 20 and a, and a half with Marshall. Like they don't, they play, this is like a play down to your level of the competition, not yeah. play down to the level of the venue, which doesn't even make sense when you say it out loud. Yeah. And I don't, you know, like I wasn't talking about, the venue, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't talking about the 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 venue that they're the building or that the they're fan base, yeah, playing in, or the fan base. I mean, they've created a better home atmosphere. Yeah. And in years past, I saw somebody said the the crowd. I heard it stuff. It was I, embarrassing. I did hear from a lot of people. It wasn't. Well, yeah. Did you say? I, well, I, how how do you get into a game right. like that with the way that they were playing offensively? But um, anyway, I don't think it's mass. I don't think that they should change that. Um, they need to, I, and I agree with what Pete you're saying during the week. I mean, they just need to be, they need to be better. And you can talk about, you can talk about play calling or execution. And I know, you know, even, even coach Freeman says on multiple occasions, I know you guys don't want to hear it, but when, when you haven't scored touchdown in the first quarter and, and Drew Pine airmails a wide open brain Lindsay, it's like, what would you like the call to have been in order for that? to be more successful. So there it, it's uh, look, of course it's a combination of the execution is, is always essential. It's always crucial. We have to be able to talk about players executing. I'm sorry. Like yeah, we, I, we, the coaching has coached this team down to three and three. I am 100% on board with that. I agree with that. I don't, I, I mean, how yeah, can you right. argue? You that? don't think some of these plays should be made. In fact, let's lead to this next question because as Tim Priester pointed out, Number four on the other team sure seems to make a lot of plays when he has a chance. BWAC 29, Lorenzo Styles seems to have taken a step back from last year, or at a minimum hasn't taken a step forward. Every defense is keyed to Michael Mayer in the run. So should they have so they should have every opportunity to thrive alongside him. And yet he keeps choking, quote unquote, when he gets the opportunity to make a big play. What is the deal here? Well, I, I mean, I just thought his performance against Stanford was inexplicable. Uh, he dropped he dropped three passes. I, I, you know, the third and two, I think was the last one. And it's like, I guess we shouldn't throw it to him anymore. I don't, I don't, you know, and meanwhile, Michael Wilson is catching everything, not for big yardage, but moving the chains and a, in a tough receiver. And I mean, they, they, Lorenzo styles can't have games like that. They have to have him step forward. And it's, and, and frankly, that's not the first time this year he dropped, you know, the Marshall game, the the early, again, we talk about the first quarter, he dropped a pass. It would have been a first down and you start stringing first downs together and everything changes. The whole mood of the game changes. So I don't get it. I know he's a better player than that. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be harsh on him, but man, when the offense is struggling, um, you know, he, he's at least semi-established with the way he played the second half of last season and they need him to have better concentration than he's had. I don't understand this one at all. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that I don't get about Notre Dame this season, but Lorenzo styles would be near the top of that list. Cause like, 
I wasn't expecting him to have a Kevin Austin kind of season, but like I expect him to look like a number one receiver for most of the games. Um, and he's looked like a number one receiver, I think, for one of the games. So that's that that's kind of hard for me to get my head around. Not that they're struggling, it is that they are lacking execution. We can't use words other than execution to describe a college athlete not playing well. Yes, well, bitter, yes, we can't. Yes, we can't. They can't. We can't. I will. Yeah, we can't. We're not. Know. We're not standing up there at the press conference with your hands tied as to what you can say after losing, you know, to a Stanford. one and four Stanford <laughs> team. But uh, here's a question from MGDTMA: Does Tommy Reese realize how often Nordane runs the ball on second down? Rewatch the first half. He says. I hope he does not realize that because it's not true. Um, second and 10, Tommy Reese this season has run the ball 19 times for 106 yards and has passed the ball 17 times for 133 yards. It should be 18 times for 153 yards and an extra touchdown, but Chris Tyree was misaligned and that second and 10 or second and 13 pass was called back. So he is almost exactly 50% rush pass on second and 10 or more. If you're looking for a tendency, he runs all the time on second and seven. Seven runs, one pass. You know what the worst thing I just said is? They've had second and seven eight times this year, and they've had second and ten or more on 36 occasions. <laughs> so that is the worst part of this whole thing. <laughs> and therein and therein lies the reason for the three and outs, which do you have a tally of those? I, yeah, I, a lot. I don't mean to put you yeah, a like, lot. It's like a giant list of them. Yeah, yeah. a lot. That, that's <laughs> that that is an ample description, is uh is a lot. Actually, uh, I do quick. have three and outs for the first. Punts and three and outs for the first quarter because that is the worst quarter. Uh, They averaged 1.53 yards on first down in the first half this last game for people that want to pile on Reese, which you're more than welcome to on that situation. And it was over nine in the second half. So there were some improvements there. But as we talked about offline, Priester and Samson, you're allowed to have some success against Stanford too. Yeah, I think um, (laughs) there there were, obviously there were a lot of other Tommy Reese questions and some that were tied into me and uh, <laughs> I was going to defend it. Why would I defend Tommy Reese after this game? Because people I, think it's a narrative as opposed well, to, I am an objective game. observer of the game. I try to be. And so I point out when he's good and point out when they're bad and it'd be redundant. Stanford there, already did it. Yeah, there, exactly. <laughs> there would be, there would be nothing for me to point out in his favor. So of course I'm not going to defend him in this game other than, the, the, the touchdown that should have been in the first quarter uh, on the, on the overthrow to Lindsay question from CMU Penn's fan. What has happened to Nordane's pass rush where it has an inability to sack the quarterback this season? Probably this is on your list. Samson of surprises for the Nordane football season, right? Yeah, this, this would be up there. And especially the way the season started, right? Like they, they got off to a good start in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. And then I mean, what, like Howard Cross was sacking C.J. Stroud in the first quarter of the first game. We're like, all right, this is this is going to be a good pass rush. And then it's just sort of tapered off from there. Like Stanford was always sort of like this get well game for a pass rush. And then Saturday night it wasn't. And they they, they didn't need it to be great. But one sack of a Stanford quarterback, I feel like most times we're covering Stanford Notre Dame games and like they're ragdolling the guy for like, four or five sacks and they just they just didn't they did not bring it all right for the record Nordheim had one sack against Ohio State they had three against Marshall 
they had six against Cal, which kind of skews the number that they have, which the actual number itself is not that bad. Um, they had three sacks against North Carolina. They had two against BYU and one this past week. So they are, I mean, they went into Saturday's game 18th in the country in sacks at three per game. Then they only had one. So they're down like in the 30s somewhere, which really they're on pace at, um, to have their about their second most. So they're right around the, the number if about the second most. Uh, if since they, yeah, I was just, I remember writing about this last week and like they were basically a, going to be off by one of last year's sack total. Right, I think we right, all would right. agree that would have been a, that would have been a really good return yeah. on in that category. Well, Isaiah Foskey is, I mean, he's not showing up around the ball a whole lot. Um, they need him to be more consistent. He disappears too much. And that's the position he's in. When you go into the season talking about setting the all-time Notre Dame record, the expectations are going to be really ramped up. And, uh, and, and he hasn't quite met them. So uh, they need to do better. The overall numbers aren't as bad as the question sounds, but they need to do. They certainly need to do better. From KHUP 8740, please don't take this question. Please don't take this as a question about firing Marcus Freeman. At what point does Jack Storbrick step in and try to help Freeman figure out what is going on? Is that already happening? He had to put that disclaimer in. What does he think I'm going to? You think we might overreact to a question <laughs> like that? Um, I mean, I have no doubt that Jack Swarbrick is in fairly constant communication with Marcus Freeman. I think he was with Brian Kelly when Brian Kelly was receptive to it, which kind of came maybe later in their relationship. But, um, I mean, I think, especially for a young first time coach, I'm sure Marcus Freeman is open to it, to any feedback that Jack Swarbrick offers him. And Swarbrick is not the type, especially when it comes to the football program, to, to just be hands off with, you know, with the coaching staff. He's always around. So I have, I have little doubt about whether there have been lines of communication. And, you know, I mean, I think he's there as a sounding board, board for him. I'm I not sure that that's true for all of the all of the sports in Notre Dame, but certainly when, when it comes to football and basketball. Right. I talked to somebody very close to Marcus Freeman about, about this topic and the relationship with Swarbrick. And I was told that what he really (laughs) wished was that Swarbrick was 10 years younger. Um, So the Marcus is like actively seeking out info and advice from Jack Swarbrick, like whether Swarbrick was offering or not, Marcus is asking for it. Um, So that's, uh, yeah, I would say that that's already happening because it's it's been happening right. on a weekly basis since December of last year. Yeah, I think that's true to form for both personalities. Yes. This one might be for Tim Priester from Alley. Does Marcus Freeman look like Jerry Faust on the sideline? It is October 17th, and there's your <laughs> comparison. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, podcast question from April 17th real fast and see if it's a little different. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, answer that one. I'll look. Obviously you have to be a a little bit of an older fan to remember Jerry Foss on the sideline. Look, first and foremost, Marcus Freeman has more football knowledge in his right pinky than Jerry Faust ever had. Now I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but Jerry Faust did not know X's and O's. He, he was he was not a coordinator. He couldn't coach a, a defense or an offense or a position. 
So, I mean, right there, the That's comparison. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, he, well, I look at his resume before he came to Notre Dame. He was, a, good though. he was great. a high, he was a high school, a, a Catholic high school head coach where his responsibilities weren't anything like what Marcus Freeman has experienced. So, I mean, it's a fair question because I, you know, I don't know that the, you know, fair or not the demeanor of the head coach especially at Notre Dame with NBC games, he's going to, his face is going to be on TV all the time. And when he looks overwhelmed or, or in anguish or a bit fearful, it's not going to be interpreted very well. And he's a, he's a young coach who's riding the emotions of a football game with his, his life, his career life on the line. So I, I think it's probably something that he needs to um, work on or discuss with somebody about how your sideline demeanor because it's it's there for everybody to watch and I thought it was I thought it was great in Vegas and then not not the kind of um, not the kind of look that you wanted to project this past week I I, I don't know you guys so I much preferred uh, Brian Kelly's stoic demeanor when he was their first year coach at Notre Dame and sort of just the way he was very even keel about everything <laughs> you know didn't throw anyone under the bus just like very very <laughs> inward looking so i you know hopefully marcus freeman can take a lesson from that yeah it's it's quite a thing yeah i, mean, I don't i don't believe that he needs to be that, i mean there's some thought out there that he needs to tear into guys and that no he does not that's not what he needs to do i think he needs to project an air of confidence better on occasion particularly this past weekend I don't know who asked the question, but I thought the answer was awesome. Um, I think it might have been Tyler James, and I think it leads into this question about, or the, sort of get to this question about like um, his demeanor on the sideline, tearing into guys. If you're tearing into guys, you're publicly blaming them. And he said today, like when you do that, you lose them. So I think he's he's very aware that like I don't know if he's aware the cameras are on him, but he's aware like when I'm around other people, I'm not going to rip them a new one because. That's not doing the player any good. I, I would. I, the only thing I would compare with Jerry Faust is that Notre Dame was playing this past weekend like a lot of Jerry Faust teams did. Which is worse. I would rather have Freeman do virtually well, anything on the sideline. Yell at then, people, not yell at people. Turn around, look backwards, wear a different shirt. I mean, and, I would be I would be lying if I didn't say. If I didn't say that Jerry Faust's name came to mind this past weekend. But it wasn't. It wasn't because of sideline. It was the way they were playing. It wasn't because of sideline demeanor. God bless you, Jerry. But <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, no, I know he's not. But there is no way on God's green earth that 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 man should have been the head coach at Notre Dame. Jerry Faust and Jay Bateman, two guys that do not listen to this podcast. <laughs> go fight, win, go Irish. Is it time to settle? On a starter at running back, or at least to find roles. Tyree hasn't been the home run threat we thought he would be. Why not try more of a slot role with him? Diggs has shown flashes, but his time on the field has been limited. Estimate seems the most consistent when he's not fumbling. It just seems like there's no rhythm or reason to which to which back plays, or when and who starts games. I think I think it's a fair question, and I want to state, and you guys know this, and I've said it how many times before the season. When was when was Chris Tyree ever a home run threat at running back? When Florida State, I mean, I okay, I'll grant yeah. you that one, but <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll grant you that one. It's but a big uh, hole, he ran through it, and I think he could still run through some big holes, but yeah, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that uh, 
Diggs and Estime seems like the one-two punch with Tyree can play some slot and some running back. I do agree with that. Pete? Uh, Diggs has definitely turned it around over the last three weeks. I mean, what? how much time did we spend on this podcast arguing for more Chris Tyree touches just three weeks ago? So well, he was, that was too few. You want to see what he can do. Yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to overlook where we were just three weeks ago. Um, in this, I think all three should play. Uh, but right. I would say Diggs is playing the best, which is definitely not what I would have said a month ago. Yeah. And, um, but, and, and Hey, uh, the, the North Carolina game, Diggs had 17 care. No, or the uh, BYU game, Diggs had 17 carries, right? Yeah, it, the last three games, not that 17, I don't think, but the last three games, um, they have evened out their snap totals very yeah. – it's, it's gotten a lot closer. But I think that's the point. He doesn't like – this This question does not want an even snap total. I will say about starting, the starting thing has – Yeah, nothing, and that's it, that way overplayed. That is just overplayed. play they want to run. Like, like, Logan Diggs started at North Carolina. So did David Sherwood. It was the play that they wanted to run. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't it, matter who starts. Those days are. Yeah, yeah for some Tyree reason. like started that, last weekend and then basically didn't play after the first quarter. Yeah, I like to bring this up. TJ Jones was the team MVP in 2013, and he started seven games. It's just for some reason they went with some other play they wanted to do. Of course, maybe that's just stupid. He was a team MVP. He could probably start all 13 games. But. And Casey Filkins had seven more carries than Diggs, Estime, and Tyree combined. Filkins carried 32 times. Yeah. I'm with it. I'm with Pete. That guy played well. 2.8 yards of carry, played well. Was- no, I agree with that. And and I I liked him. I that the watching him during the week, it's like you look at this guy and you say he shouldn't be productive. And yet he <laughs> and is. Why, and, and why do you and say that, Tim? Why do you say no, he shouldn't no, be No, because he does not because he's white, because he's <laughs> not I because he's not that big and not that fast. But he's slippery. I'm not saying it has nothing to they're they're all kind of running backs I say shouldn't be that productive. I said the Katoa kid from BYU stunk yeah. and he gave him a 20-yard run. You know, Pete, you know how we do rush efficiency? What was his rush efficiency? It was oh, good. Geez. What, what's the number? I don't know. It was just good. Well, what's the number? Good. It was good. That's all it was. <laughs> it's, 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 I've never seen a 2.8-yard carry average that was more impressive than that one. I agree. No, I, I agree with you. But it still was 2.8. Yeah. Yep. But. Right, it's a good, so, it was a good two point. Is all we're saying. Yeah, he was. It I mean, was. He's, a, he's a very scrappy, fundamentally sound, coachable running back, though. Yeah, I, I really wait. I, you know, the the grades and and over the course of the the seasons past, I, maybe I should shorten my responses before the grades so I can get people to read them because a lot of times it's just look at the grade. You're wrong. If you would, if you would. If you would no, that, that was wrong. No, that one was wrong. And sometimes like, like I said, I get caught in the, I get caught in the big picture as opposed to the nuts and bolts. And then sometimes I get caught into the nuts and bolts as opposed to the big picture of rush offense, rush defense. Well, report card you do before film review too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah absolutely. People should know that people should know that. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't get to, I, I didn't get to the game till noon yesterday. So we're doing the best we can here, man. We're doing the best we can. We're going to fish with a question from Statman 72. When do basketball games start? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's an exhibition against Xavier Pete. Can you believe it? Uh, but it's Xavier of Louisiana. So not as fun mm. on November 2nd. And then they play Duke on November 10th. 
It's actually it's actually Radford, but they play no, Radford on November 10th. So uh, we're going to try to sell that to see if they can get people to show up. At. Is it really necessary for college basketball to start in November? No, in is fact, it really necessary for college hockey to start in October? I know that Jay Billis and Mike Bray both believe that there needs to be a better official start later in the year for college basketball. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. Yeah. So it doesn't overlap with football so that we're going to home basketball games against Radford during uh well, is that Navy week or BC week? November oh, is wait, wait, wait. I'll be gone. Uh, yes. Will I be gone or is that no a you can't no, you can't go. Where are you going? Oh, you're going out for the <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to Navy. <laughs> yes. I think it's a third. No, okay, reference... I'm gonna leave for Navy on Thursday, okay? I'm gonna go. I think <laughs> <laughs> like Vegas. I just you know, just a little uh sports writing piece of information for November really stinks for us because you're covering basketball and football at the same time, man. Well, you're not covering Duke Notre Dame either. You're covering no, you're not, but you're still you're still you're still covering it. You still have to you still have to do it. You still have to do it. So yeah, I'd be okay with covering Duke on November 10th. Trust me. Our our lives are so tough covering Notre Dame football and basketball. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. I will be back on Thursday. We might even talk a little bit about UNLV because I'm gonna start watching film on the the rebels who desperately need their quarterback Doug Brumfield back. Without him, they are not good. With him. At least it's not a trap game anymore. No, it won't be a trap game for Notre Dame, but it, it's at home, and they'll be a, they're, they're a heavy they favorite. So, Whoa, they have, the they're going to have mass. So we appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. Until next time, thank you. <laughs>